Assemble together, worship our God, praise our God, thank our God, and petition our God. It's also a beautiful morning that we can remember what Jesus Christ did for each of us and that He gave His all for us. We would like to extend a Taylor Street welcome to any of our visitors this morning. And uh, one of the requests we would have of you, would you please take one of the cards from the, the packet on the outside there? Uh, and please fill that out. And if you would, as a collection place or passed up and down the pews later on, would you please drop that in there for us? We'd appreciate that very much. And we would also encourage each member here as the books are passed up and down to please also uh, record your attendance for today. That's very important information for us, and we appreciate that very much. Like we said, what a beautiful morning it is to be here to worship God. And this morning... It is uh, our young men of the congregation is going to lead us in our worship to God. And we just ask that everybody would participate wholeheartedly as these young men come in and help us to glorify the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Faithful love flowing down from the throne covers round, makes me whole, saves my soul. Washing whiter than snow, faithful love comes each fear, reaches down, fills each tear, hold my hand when I can't stand on my own. Faithful love from above, came to earth to show the Father's love, and I'll never be the same, for the sweet faithful love, face to face, and Jesus is His name. Faithful love is a friend, just to hope seems to end. Welcome, praise, sweet and grace, tender judge filled with grace, faithful love and just power, living flame, spirit's fire, burning bright in the night, guiding my way. Faithful love from above. 
came to earth to show the Father's love. And I'll never be the same, for I've seen faithful love face to face, and Jesus is his name. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. I want you silver only you can satisfy you alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye you alone are my strength my shield to you my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you have gifted us. Thank you for this special service that is going to be led by the youth. And thank you for all the visitors and members you have led to attendance here today. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Over all the earth you reign on high. Every mountain stream, every sunset sky. But my one request, Lord, my only aim is that you reign in me again. Lord, reign in me. Reign in your power over all the dreams In my darkest hour you are the Lord of all I am So won't you reign in me again Over every thought, over every word May my life reflect the beauty of my Lord Cause you more to me than any earthly thing. So won't you reign in me again? Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams. In my darkest hour, you are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again? Holy, holy.
Teens Wednesday night class, we've been studying the fundamentals of our faith, and just a couple weeks ago, um, the Lord's Supper was, was our discussion topic. So we walked through the institution of the Lord's Prayer that's found in the Gospel of Matthew, um, and, and we discussed a little bit about the history of the Lord's Supper as well. But neither the history nor the institution was as befuddling as the theology behind the Lord's Supper. We encountered fra- phrases such as open communion and consecration. Um, and we looked at different denominational beliefs. And we compared the Passover with, with the communion. But just to cloud things a little bit more... We even dared to explore the ideas of transubstantiation and consubstantiation. And as would happen in any solid discussion, a debate ensued. Now, by the time the class was over, I think each and every one of us in there was mentally drained. But we ended on an excellent point. And that point comes from Francis Chan. He says that in the midst of perplexities, why even ask? In fact, I'm certain that all of you would agree, if you don't ask questions, you don't get answers. But here's the thing. When curiosity obstructs your obedience to God, it kind of becomes a problem. Um... So I think God expects our obedience. And I say that to say this. One of our forebears, Alexander Campbell, says, In the house of God, there's always the Lord's table. So will you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, as we ponder this morning the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross, may we have hearts oriented toward you, and minds that are fully present. With reverent spirits, we break of this bread as one united body, as a way of celebrating our freedom from the bondage of sin and our unity not only with you, but with each other. May we do this in a manner that's pleasing to you. And for our salvation that was attained through the spilling of your blood, 
We celebrate you as our suffering king. We are eternally indebted to you. May we take of this cup in a manner that is pleasing to you. Amen. Jesus loves me. So I think one more uh, night of practice would have been a little good, but. <laughs> so uh, I just want to say, we are Lance and I are just extremely proud of of the young men coming up here and uh, leading the service for us. So um, just so you guys know, they have worked very hard, um, and they are intelligent young men, and they all have hearts of of leadership. Um, so I think it's important for the ent- entire congregation to know that. Um, so what what's going to happen in the next uh, in the next hopefully 20 to 25 minutes? Um, we're going to be looking at different call narratives, and we're going to have four speakers come up here, and they're they're going to introduce to you guys these call narratives. And what what's going to happen is they're going to follow a template. So the first element of the template is divine confrontation. The second element is the commission. The third element is um, the objection. Then the fourth one is reassurance. And finally, the last one is the sign. Now, all of the call narratives that we do find in the Bible don't follow this template to a T, but they do have um, at least one element and some even kind of intertwine. Um, So here's what I want from you guys. As you guys are listening to them speak and as they're, they're introducing these call narratives, have this question in the back of your mind. Who is the God that we serve. So as you guys listen to them, just think about that question. Who is the God that we serve? Good morning. I'm going to be reading Ezekiel chapter 2 and chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people. They will know that a prophet has been among them, and you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. 
But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked, and I saw a hand stretched out to me, and it was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Good morning. Okay, well, I'll be reading Ezekiel. Okay. In chapter 1, Ezekiel has a fantastic vision. He sees four creatures that shine like growing metal and lightning all around them. They have four faces, wings, and move on large growing wheels. At the time, Israel is in... Uh, wait. In, in exile... In Babylon, Bob, wait, Bob, Babylon, there you go. God has a message for his people. He is using, he used this vision to get Ezekiel's attention, and it worked. Ezekiel fell to the ground in holy fear. And Ezekiel is still on his face when our divine confrontation begins. The Lord commands Ezekiel to stand up, then he sends his spirit into Ezekiel for him to rise again. To rise. <clears throat> if you listen to what Harrison just read in chapter 2, you hear words like stubborn and rebellious and obstinate multiple times. God is sending Ezekiel to the people with very hard hearts, but he is sending him. <clears throat> and an interesting point here, an interesting point here is that Ezekiel is is. <clears throat> beginning sent to a stubborn and obstinate people and even though they are God's nation they don't want to hear Ezekiel's message from God <clears throat> however God commands Ezekiel to speak his word then a wait Ezekiel then then in a in an upcut bit of emerge God shows Ezekiel a scroll with mooring and limit uh, writing writing on both sides. Ezekiel is told to eat the scroll, and even though it is full of wee and sadness, the text says that it tastes like sweet honey. The service is a sign that Ezekiel is sent by God, and God has a mission for him to call his people back to him. Good morning. Would you please read with me in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now Moses was pasteurizing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of, the, of a bush. And he looked, and behold... The bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. 
So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw he turned aside to look, God called from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you stand are holy ground. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. How are y'all doing today? That's always good to hear. Um, today, I'm just going to be reading uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 7 and 12. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of... Uh, that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, uh, Parasites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way uh, the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring, uh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, uh, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring uh, the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is uh, I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship, uh, worship God on this mountain. So um, now we're going to be reading in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. <clears throat> Let's see if I can find it. Okay. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never uh, been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to uh, speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them signs or makes them blind? Or who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is not. Uh, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak with, uh, and will teach you what to say. So how many times have you felt a presence inside of you, God really, and you felt him calling out to you? And so maybe you didn't want to do it. How many times has that happened to you? You felt, you felt this calling, but you didn't, want to go do it because you were scared or you thought that you couldn't do it. Well, it's okay because that happens to a lot of people. It happens to me a lot, actually. I didn't, I kind of, I'm kind of scared to be up here right now, to be honest with you. It happens to a lot of people, but that's okay. Because like, like God said to Moses, he's going to be with you no matter what. When divine confrontation happened, when uh, God came down to Moses and started talking to him, commission, um, when God said for Moses to go and uh, help the Israelites out of Egypt, and then when Moses objected to this and he said he couldn't do it, reassurance is when God said, hey, yeah, you can and I'll be with you. And signs, signs is when 
he said, uh, when God told him uh, that he would be with him and that he will show them the way. It's okay to be a little nervous when things like this happen because we're only human. And yes, being human, we have flaws and everything like that. So as I leave here, I just want this to be said, and I want you to think about this. When God calls you, you shouldn't be scared. Being scared shouldn't really be on your priority list, but it will be. Like I said, because we're humans. But what makes us better is that we can acknowledge that we're scared and that we can fight that. We acknowledge that we're scared and we do it anyways because we know for a definite 100% fact that God will be there for us and God will be holding our hand throughout the whole entire way. Good morning. Um, I'll be reading from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Good morning. How scary would it be to be confronted by God? How would you react? It's easy to say that we would believe God and do whatever He told us, but would we really? In Genesis 12, Abraham was face to face with God for the first time. God told him to go somewhere totally unknown and leave everything he knows behind. He reacted pretty well considering the circumstances, and he did just what God said. Nevertheless, it was clear that Abraham was acting out of fear. Fear because he knew what God was capable of and had faith in his works. Abraham did what God said because he was afraid of the consequences that he'd have to face if he disobeyed God's words. God, he knew that God would hold him accountable. In the text, God says to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This is the divine confrontation in this story, and in Abraham's case, it doubles as the commission. It was the first time that God had ever spoken to Abraham, and he was asking quite a bit of him right off the bat. This would be scary for anyone, and it would raise a lot of questions like, Why would God want me to do this? Where's the land that he will show me? What do I do with everything I have here right now? What will I do when I get there? And finally, is it really God speaking to me right now? 
All this came from that one command, yet through all the doubt and fear that must have come from God coming to Abraham, Abraham remained calm and he had enough faith to go anyway. He trusted God when God said that he should leave everything he knows and step into something totally new. He trusted that God would stand behind him no matter what he did. And finally, he trusted God's presence enough to build an altar to him in the new land, proclaiming his sovereignty over everyone and everything that would be there in generations to come. When Abraham got to the new land, the Lord came to him again and said, To your offspring I will give this land. This is the reassurance in the passage, as God reassures Abraham that he will allow him and his descendants to prosper in this new place. What an amazing story. Straightforward as this calling was, being that it only has three of the five elements, it's a great lesson for us, and it just goes to show the kind of faith Abraham had in the God he knew. Cool thing about this case is that Abraham never objected to God. He never said no to what God asked him to do. This is how we should learn to live our lives, with trust and confidence that God won't lead us down the wrong path. When God calls us, we need to trust that He knows what He's doing and follow Abraham's example of living with abandon for God's glory. Good morning. Looks like they saved the best for last. I'll be reading Judges 6, 11 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizri. Uh, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one. As one man, so Gideon said to him, If now I have found your favor in your, in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you, and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Good morning. It is a good morning because I am up here instead of my father. I'm going to talk about this, what God we serve through the story of Gideon. Gideon lacked confidence. He was hiding food inside a wine press when an angel of the Lord came down and called Gideon a mighty warrior. Then the angel gives Gideon a commission. When I think of a commission, I think of it as a compound word, co, which is God and Gideon, and then mission, what God is sending Gideon out to do. God wants Gideon to take Israel out of the Midian's hand, leaving none behind. And just like every other call, Gideon has rebuttals. Gideon tells God that he is not the one. He says that he is the weakest of his tribe and he is the weakest of them. God immediately comes back in verse 16. Surely I will be with you, and you will defeat the Midians as one man. Then, even though God had sent down an angel of the Lord, 
Gideon still needed a sign. So God, so Gideon asked God to wet a fleece and not the ground, then vice versa. We are all like Gideon. We lack confidence. When God asks us to do something, we immediately spit out reasons why we aren't the ones to do it. He may not give us a physical sign. He may ask us to do it by faith, but he will help us through it. In the midst of reluctance, God provided us with strength and guidance. That's the God we serve. That commission thing, where well, you broke that into two words, I'm stealing that, Wyatt. I did not feed him that line, but I'm going to use it. Um, I'm proud of these young men. I, I want you all to know that you only saw half of what I get to work with. I have some uh, young ladies that are phenomenal at what they do. They lead songs downstairs for the children before classes on um, at every every Sunday morning. Haley will come and bug me about when is it time to do a girls class again. And so you have lots and lots to be proud of both things you've seen here this morning and things that you did not get a opportunity to see. But we started off today with a question, and that is, who is this God? Who is this God who calls? And what do we learn about him from these call narratives? And so from, I just kind of want to put a bow on these. From Ezekiel, the, the story Dimitri spoke about, we learn that we have a God who calls us to persevere even when we have a world who doesn't want to listen. And that's interesting to me because look at how God equips his servant that he calls. Now, all the Marvel comic book films are kind of the biggest movies every year that they come out. And we know the characters by their, by their power, their super power that they have. And look at Ezekiel's power that God is going to give him. I'm going to read from Ezekiel 3, verses uh, 8 and 9. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. So God chooses a man. He calls him to be his prophet. And the power that he gives him is, I'm just going to make you stubborn. You are just going to persevere even when the world doesn't want to know about me. Your forehead is going to be harder than flint, and you are going to be faithful. I think we learn a lot about a God who tells us, just persevere. Make your forehead as hard as flint. Moses, in that call, God reveals himself to those that he calls. This is a God that we can know. He gives his special name. To Moses, he says, I am Yahweh, Jehovah God. He gives his special name. He reveals his law to Moses. Um, Moses gets to see his glory as God passes by. God reveals himself to those that he calls. Thirdly, Brevin talked about um, Abraham. And in that story, we see a God who calls us out of something before he calls us to something else. Um, in Luke 5, Jesus is going to put it this way. He says that it's about wine and skins. He says you can't put new wine into the old wine skins. If not, they'll burst. God says, I'm calling you out of a way of thinking, a way of acting in this world into a new way of being, into a new way of thinking. And Abraham is physically called out of 
someplace before he's called into some place new. And finally, in the story of Gideon, we, we see that when God calls, he calls us by a new and better identity. Gideon could easily have been called the defeated one, the conquered one. He could have been called a loser. He could have been called the runt of the litter. But when God shows up, God calls him by a new identity. He says, mighty warrior. And then proceeds in Gideon's weakness to show his own strength and his own power. Paul in Romans is going to say it this way. In chapter 4, Paul is going to say this about, about God. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. God calls this conquered, defeated, run of the litter, and he says, you're a mighty warrior. And he does the same for us. No matter where we are in life, he says, I have a plan for you. Forget what you think about yourself. Forget the labels the world has put on you. I have a better way of being for you. And so we serve a God who calls. And today he calls us to know him and to serve him and to reach out to a fallen world with him. He calls his people, the church, is the means with which he is going to reach out to the world. And so if you've not answered that call, we have a baptistry. And it's the first step in answering that call is your sins are washed away and God's Spirit lives in your heart and you go on a co-mission, thank you Wyatt, with him in this world. If you have needs of the church, come as we stand and sing.